In health research, we often hear and pay lip service to the term patient-centred. Many of us would probably be hard-pressed to devise entirely patient-centred studies. Take Charge is an impressive, novel, community-based, self-directed rehabilitation intervention that helps a person with stroke to take charge of their own recovery. In a previous randomised controlled trial, a single Take Charge session improved independence and health-related quality of life 12 months following stroke in Māori and Pacific New Zealanders. This current study confirms that Take Charge, a low-cost, person-centred, self-directed rehabilitation intervention after stroke has actually improved health-related quality of life and independence. And we all know that independence is very important for people post-stroke. I'm Carmen Leif Jenkins, Managing Editor of the International Journal of Stroke, and I spoke to Dr. Harry McNaughton, who conducted the study from the Medical Research Institute of New Zealand in the Stroke Rehabilitation Research Department of Wellington Hospital. Dr. McNaughton and team tested the same intervention in three doses, zero, one or two sessions, in a larger study and in a broader non-Maori and non-Pacific population with stroke. We spoke to him about this and how this trial came about and how these really astounding results could change the way we look at some rehabilitation interventions. Hi, my name is Harry McNaughton. I'm a, a stroke physician currently working in Derby, UK, but I've been working in New Zealand for a long time. The academic work that we've been doing is under the the umbrella of the Medical Research Institute of New Zealand, MRINZ. Great. So what populations were you looking at with the Take Charge Intervention Trial and why were you looking at those specific populations? Well, we've done two trials and in our first Take Charge trial that was published 2012, uh, the participants were Maori or Pacific New Zealanders and that trial showed a strongly positive result for Take Charge so uh, although we wanted to implement that intervention in New Zealand for Māori and Pacific people, we were unable to do so. So we realised we had to do another trial, this time in people after stroke who were not Māori and not Pacific in ethnicity. And so in the TACAS trial, the Taking Charge After Stroke trial, that's just been published, in International Journal of Stroke, the, the study population was dominantly white European, similar to stroke populations in places like Australia or Canada, United Kingdom, United States. So we thought that a positive result in this population, so a dominantly white population, in a second larger trial would convince people that the intervention was effective. And Obviously, because we've got two trials with a broad range of ethnicity, that makes the findings more generalisable. Fantastic. So why don't you go into explaining the intervention? Uh, so, so in one sentence, we're, we're helping the person with stroke take charge after stroke uh, take charge of their life after stroke for themselves. And to do that, uh, we used a trained facilitator in one or two sessions 
uh, with two sessions six weeks apart, starting a couple of weeks after discharge from hospital. Uh, the sessions are in the person's own home and last about 45 to 60 minutes or so, but there's no time limit on the session. And in the session, the person with stroke is encouraged to say what makes them who they really are as a person and to say what matters most to them and also to say who are the important support people in their lives. And with that information, it's possible for the person with stroke and their family to map out a strategy for the future to achieve what they want from their life. Uh, in the sessions, we use a booklet with lots of pictures for writing, drawing, and adding to over time. And the person with stroke keeps the booklet. And so in terms of the intervention, is it does that mean that it's a mental health intervention? Does that mean that it's a... Um, you know, that the the idea of the take charge is just that you, the patient or stroke survivor, are driving your health care. Is that what it means? That Yeah. So, so the interventions vary definitely in the psychological or psychosocial realm. There's no kind of therapy involved, but this is in addition to usual community rehabilitation. So the people in the trial were getting their uh, usual input from physiotherapists and occupational therapists as part of community stroke rehabilitation. You know, we, we believe that, that a person's, uh, you know, psychological uh, attitude makes a big difference to their outcome from stroke. And we are trying to manipulate that in, in, a, in a small way. So that's really fascinating to me because um, with my experience with disability advocacy, one of the very important things to sort of empower people or empowerment in itself plays a really important role in motivating and moving people forward with their mental health management and with the management of their disability and making sure that they feel included in the community and valued. Is that the purpose behind Take Charge? Yeah. We're sure that, you know, we've done a lot of work uh, from uh, the, the intervention has evolved over time. And so we've absorbed a lot of lessons along the way from uh, a combination of early qualitative work that we did, you know, our clinical experience as rehabilitation clinicians and the results of our first trial. Plus, we've read very widely in the psychological and educational literature. So you know, if I can put all that sort of stuff together, it might try and explain kind of where we think this is, uh, how this is going to, how the intervention is actually working for people with stroke. And so um, in the qualitative studies, we knew, we, we learned that people valued the idea of taking charge. And, and those qualitative studies weren't just with people with stroke, but with cancer and pain. Uh, we did some qualitative work led, uh, led by um, Matari Harwood and Kath McPherson with Maori people and Pacific people about what mattered most to them. And then uh, our experience as rehabilitation clinicians, you know, most of the people working on these studies were practicing rehabilitation clinicians. And, you know, we know that outcomes after stroke are, are explained in part by the severity of the stroke, but that 
You know, much of the variation in outcome can't be explained by things that we measure. You know, we've all observed people with certain characteristics who do better than we predict, uh, despite the severity of their stroke. So uh, uh, for years, I've told people with stroke and their families that whatever the severity of the stroke, there's three things that make the biggest difference to their long-term outcome. Those three things are, the first one is having a dream for the future. And the second is having a particular attitude and the, you know, the sort of person who says, I don't care what you say, doc, I'm going to show you. You know, I'm going to do something like walk my daughter down the aisle or go back to work or be able to play with my grandkids or whatever. And the third thing is someone who will stand by them whatever happens. And that's not necessarily their spouse. And people who have all three of those things sometimes achieve really spectacular outcomes. And what they are doing is taking charge. And, you know, some people naturally have an ability to take charge. So what we are doing is trying to help everybody to take charge more and achieve a better outcome than they would otherwise have done. And going back to your point about sort of motivation, you know, in our first trial, which is called the Maori and Pacific Stroke Study or the MATCH study, uh, we actually tested two different interventions uh, based on the same sort of principles. And the first was a beautifully made series of 20-minute videos of Maori and Pacific people with stroke telling their own stories. And we asked them to sort of concentrate on how to get through to life after stroke, how to use their supports, concentrating on what matters most to them, all of the elements of Take Charge. And the second intervention was Take Charge done face-to-face. So this was the, the message was the same, but it was kind of up to the person themselves and their family to come up with the ideas. So before the trial, we thought that the video would be more powerful at inspiring and motivating people than the face-to-face session. But we were wrong. Uh, The video didn't make any difference, but the face-to-face session did. And, you know, we think the video message was another example of an intervention being done to people with stroke, like many of the things, you know, we do now. But it's, you know, what we believe now is that it's only when people with stroke motivate themselves, you know, what it, what psychologists call intrinsic motivation, that you really get the results that you want. And, you know, the example I use to people when they ask me about this is, is uh, teenagers. So, you know, people with teenagers know this already. You know, if you try and motivate a teenager to study or pass exams with some sort of external motivation or bribe, you know, usually financial, the results are often not very good. But if the teenager really wants something themselves and are motivated to achieve it, uh, quite remarkable things happen. And interestingly, there's about 20 years of experimental evidence in the psychology literature testing a thing called self-determination theory, which shows that this is true. So take charge shares key elements with self-determination theory. And those elements, you know, we've called them purpose, autonomy, mastery, and connectedness. 
And there's a very strong body of literature suggesting that people with strong sense of those things uh, achieve more than people who don't. So the Take Charge intervention is trying to help people connect with these elements in themselves. So that's where the sort of self-rehabilitation idea comes in and self-motivation. And we think that's really crucial. So you said something earlier, which I think is a really important thing to capitalise on or to talk about at least. Um, You mentioned that you ask the patient, you know, who do you have around you that are supports? But, I mean, it's true that we all come across people that are on the fringes of community and society that may not have many family members or anyone that they would consider a close support. Some people may be on their own. What would you do in that instance? Well, it... I've talked to the various facilitators in our study about uh, what they did when this came up. And there are kind of two types of responses. One was that, uh, surprisingly, if you persisted, there there was a person that uh, uh, the, the person with stroke could identify that they like to talk to or they share confidences with uh and they would be prepared to uh, ask them to sort of stand by them in this kind of situation. So often uh, with a little bit of work, uh, the the support person may not have been that obvious to start with but could be identified. And some people, as you say, are are actually completely alone, and and I think that's tricky, but the connectedness... uh, you know, is just one component. So some people have the uh, the other abilities to to motivate themselves, and and perhaps without a, a nominated support person. Uh, there's a guy called Paul Farmer who set up Partners in Health, which is a big uh, kind of amazing voluntary health organisation initially based in Haiti, and he's written. Uh, a lot about this, and he calls the person an accompanateur, somebody who who uh, walks beside the person with the problem. And so this isn't a this isn't a sort of a new concept or anything. But uh, if there is somebody uh, who's there through thick and thin, who's prepared to fight for for that person with the health service or whatever, uh, those people do better because everybody has knocks along the way that takes away confidence. And if you've got somebody who can support you, it, it makes it more likely, we think, that uh, you know, you'll stay strong. You know, I wanted to comment a bit about the person-centeredness of the, the intervention. You know, uh, uh, one, one of the problems that I have when I talk about this intervention to rehabilitation clinicians is they say, oh, well, we do person-centred rehabilitation already. And uh, and my answer is that, unfortunately, there's a lot of evidence to show that most kind of patient-centred goal-setting is better described as therapist-led goal-setting. And we think that this can sort of disempower the person with stroke, you know, the exact opposite of what the clinician's trying to do. And uh, so I have a couple of simple tests when somebody tells me that they're already doing take charge. And the first is that, you know, if they call their goal setting patient-centred rather than person-centred, 
that suggests to me they're defining the person by their stroke, you know, that they're already making them a stroke person, which I don't think is necessarily good. And then the second thing I asked them is, who's holding the clipboard and the pen? And if it's not the person with the stroke or their family member, you know, that suggests to me that it's a therapist-led process. And so, you know, I'd ask rehabilitation clinicians out there to, to, to have a look at what they're doing currently, have a look at uh, the training manual for Take Charge and uh, uh, perhaps think a bit more carefully about person-centred processes. There's a very large amount of literature written about it. And I guess I should ask you, Harry, is Take Charge implemented, being implemented now in any centres? Uh, well, uh, the answer is uh, fortunately yes. So in New Zealand there's a, there's a plan for a sort of nationwide rollout, but what's uh, we've been in uh, consultation with several of the big uh, district health boards about training staff. So we think that within about 12 months that will be happening in New Zealand. I've also had quite uh, various bits of communication with teams in uh, Estonia, in Germany, and the Netherlands, uh, who are who are in the process of translating the materials and uh, uh, using them there. So you know, I'm very hopeful that uh, uh, Take Charge will be will be implemented as usual practice for people following stroke. Well, it sounds- There's one thing I'd say is, is that Take Charge is not specific to stroke. You know, the same principles apply to people with other chronic disease. And we've been involved in another study of Take Charge for people with COPD after acute and exacerbation of COPD in hospital. And the results of that trial just being, that, that was a small feasibility study. And the results of that study are just being analysed at the moment. We have to get over this idea that as clinicians, you know, we are the ones who know, you know, we are the, we are the, we can tell you what to do, you know, that it's absolutely the complete opposite. You know, we have to ask the person what matters most to them. And it doesn't matter if what they say is something that we think is unrealistic or undoable. You know, if that's their dream, it's our job to try and make it happen. They are the ones who know, not us. Another side to this, which we don't have to put in the podcast, but I'll pull it out and see what you think of it. Um, A lot of clinicians get really annoyed or get upset about the idea that patients take charge because they say, well, I'm the expert. I understand the science. I've done the work. This is what I, you know, this is what I excel at. Why would patients have input? It's much more important that patients do what we tell them. And, you know, when you said that patients need to then fight the system, do you want to break that down a little bit or do you think that might be a bit too controversial? Oh, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's controversial. Uh, And there's a a few elements to it. And, uh, again, the first element you probably don't want to include in the podcast, but that is that uh, what we currently do, you know, therapy-led interventions, there is no evidence that it works. Uh, there's now been 10 large randomised control trials of basically therapy-led intervention, trying to, you know, more therapy, earlier therapy, robot therapy, this, that, and the other therapy, 
And it doesn't make any difference to, to long-term outcomes in terms of quality of life, independence. So, uh, you know, so us saying, oh, you know, you've got to do so many hours of this and so many hours of that, and you're only allowed to walk in a certain way, and you must walk before you can run. Well, if the patient, you know, the person wants to run, let them run. Uh, so uh, it's all, you know, what I'm saying is that the, the evidence base for arguing that we know best is actually pretty rocky. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, the second thing is that it's much harder to do trials of psychological interventions than physical interventions. You know, the, one of the things that we were criticised for in the review process uh, was, uh, you know, describing what we do. That, um, you know, people wanted us to have done, you know, videotapes of the intervention to show fidelity, for example, which is, what academics require we prove for, you know, a new intervention. But we talked about doing this as part of a trial and decided not to do that because we didn't want to interfere with the, the sort of connection between the facilitator and the person with stroke. You know, if you've got somebody pointing a camera at you, the, the, the whole intervention changes and so we, we didn't want a script. We didn't want facilitators to go in there and, and work their way through a script. We wanted them just to say, to make a connection with the person and then shut up and let the person with stroke and their family do all the talking. You know, we trained the people to say, so that they didn't talk. And uh, therapists find that very difficult. You know, they want to tell the person, you know, give advice. But this intervention is all about the ideas coming straight from the person with stroke. And so I told, uh, you know, I trained all the facilitators and said, if you're talking more than 50% of the time, that's a fail. You must be quiet. Sit on your hands. Don't say anything. And the feedback I got from it was, was, it was amazing. You know, long silences. But, but finally, people would say, well, actually, you know, I've been thinking about doing this for ages, but maybe, you know, that's too much or maybe I'm being unrealistic or something, you know, but people, when they come up with the ideas, it's their own idea and it's much more powerful than us telling them what they should be doing. You've been listening to a podcast interview with Dr. Harry McNaughton on the Take Charge trial. Dr. McNaughton has also taken part in a WSO webinar on rehabilitation and take charge. And you can find this on the World Stroke Organization webpage, www.world-stroke.org, or the WSO YouTube channel. The International Journal of Stroke is the flagship publication of the World Stroke Organization. If you like our podcast, and we hope you do, please like or write a review. This helps others to find us.